Hello everyone, happy World Radio Day. For World Radio Day 2020, UNESCO has called on radio stations to uphold diversity, both in their newsrooms and on the airwaves. This includes advocating for pluralism in radio, including a mix of public, private, and community broadcasters, encouraging representation in the newsroom with teams that represent the diversity of our communities, and promoting a diversity of editorial content and program types, reflecting the variety of audiences that exist in our communities. If you would like to join the conversation on World Radio Day, use the hashtag WeAreDiversity. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Midtown Conversations for Change. This is our special World Radio Day edition, and we have a number of interviews uh, today all uh, around issues uh, related to radio and broadcasting, uh, the way that communities can be built through radio and podcasting. Uh, we talked to a few local musicians about their experiences touring in Canada, uh, and, and we have some broader conversations about the role of art and creativity and culture in making our communities livable and exciting and vibrant. So we're really happy that you're here today. Uh, my name is Danielle DeVoe. I'm the host of this program and a producer with Midtown Radio. Uh, and coming up in this first hour, we've got uh, a conversation about radio that I've had with Matt Rappelt and Alex Boudreau, Midtown Conversations regulars, as well as a discussion with David Harms, uh, co-founder of Midtown Radio, about why international broadcasting is so interesting to him. So thanks for joining us and please stick around. Hi, this is Danielle DeVoe, and you are listening to Midtown Conversations. This episode is being recorded at the Kitchener Public Library in the new Hefner Studios in their fantastic radio booth. Um, so if you haven't checked those out, definitely pop into uh, the Central Library location. It is a fantastic setup. Uh, and I am here with Matt Rappelt and Alex Boudreau. And we are chatting about uh, just the, the scene, the cultural scene in Kitchener-Waterloo and about uh, our interest in audio and sound and radio and, and sort of how we came to um, us, all of our separate uh, and now linked interests in audio through Midtown Radio. But we all kind of have different trajectories and different backgrounds. And I think uh, we're going to take a minute to uh, chat about why why we've come to radio and and or other audio or sound projects at this point in our life and I think it's a funny topic for me because I despite being the co-founder of a radio station uh, often tell people that I hate radio which is I think a weird thing to say and it's not necessarily true that I hate radio but I I don't know if any um any uh, anyone can sort of recall the um, Alec Baldwin uh, Schweddy Balls Saturday Night Live uh, sketch that he does where they're imitating uh, public broadcasting and they do this great version of the sound of talk radio that is very slow and deliberate and there are a lot of mouth noises in the mic um, and they're talking very sincerely about sort of ridiculous things. And, and it's the exact imitation of the sound that kind of always gets my back up a little bit, <laughs> that, that, that sound of radio and the voices. And I think the big thing, I always joke that I, I dislike the disembodied voice 
And as a child growing up in rural Alberta, uh, in the 80s, uh, technically a millennial, but I grew up with a party line, which is a phone line that is shared between multiple households. And really? you have your own ring. So you might have like two long and a short would be your ring. And then your neighbor has like two short and a long. And that's how you know if someone's calling you or them. And the... Uh, Eventually, all the other families kind of paid the money to get their own phone line because the other family on our line was really dysfunctional. They had four teenage daughters. They were always on the phone. They would scream at you if you picked up the phone when they were on. And so I was, uh, you know, eight years old learning how to use a phone for the first time and had this very negative experience of these voices, these other voices from down the line on the phone and I think it has carried through into the rest of my life where audio I've never you know I've never loved audio that much but now everything I do in my spare time is audio related so it's kind of a funny a funny irony that that happened and party line that's yeah, so funny that. I know and it's not <laughs> yeah it is not a party at all and but often when I, when I tell people this story to people who are from Ontario, especially Toronto, Toronto, sorry, people from Toronto will say, oh, yes, I know what that is. Our cottage at Muskoka had a party line. And so they're trying to commiserate, but it sounds ridiculous. because It's <laughs> like whatever you're, oh, you're, you're, you're really w- backwoodsy cottage. And the Muskokas also had a party line for a brief period of time. Well, I'm really curious what because um, radio was a huge part of my life growing up. Um, I my family listened to CBC Radio. It was never off. It was on from the like it was even if we weren't there. Like they would leave for work in the morning. I would leave for school, and it it would just play the whole day, and it would be on by the time I got home. And I'm really curious what was the what is the first thing you remember like first memory of radio that you remember like your first program or first you know host that you remember. CFCW is this like country station from Camrose, Alberta. And it's like a very well known country station, I think. Like it's this hilarious little station. And it was always on in my dad's stinky farm truck that smelled like cigarettes. (laughs) When we were driving around the farm and he would like get out and like pound a post in the ground by himself. It's a very classic image right there. Um, But also listening to the radio station in the morning to find out if the schools were closed. Yes. Yes. And that that glorious at the breakfast table just waiting for them to say, hey, Lake School is closed. (laughs) Those are my two memories. Yeah. Yeah, I'm honestly like your CBC radio memory is like exactly my life growing up. Yeah, yeah totally. Like CBC radio was on all the time. Even now, it's like if we go over to my parents, CBC radio is on. It's just like such a part of their lives. And it's something that I've gotten so good at tuning out that maybe that's why I'm like not really into radio normally, you know, yeah. like, I don't know. CBC radio just did it for me, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that you say like tune out, though, because like mm-hmm. that is what it was. It was on like throughout dinner and we'd be having conversations over top of it and then it would sort of like interweave its way into conversation like you'd hear something interesting on the radio and then all of a sudden the conversation would shift to that and then you'd tune it out for a little while again then it would come back in conversation it was sort of like just always there always present but just in the background Mm -hmm. for most of the time and then it would still sort of like you don't really realize how much how big of an influence it has until you don't have that and until you know I moved out and moved to Peterborough and then like all of a sudden you know, you don't, I wasn't, 
I didn't have radio in my in my dorm room. It didn't have radio. Like my friends didn't really listen to CBC radio. But like I grew up in that ecosystem, and you don't realize that like not a lot of people or like not the majority of people are growing up in that ecosystem as well. So mm-hmm. like you know I'd try to you know. I would talk about like the different things I'd listen to on radio and then I'd share that with my friends and they would say like, what are you talking about? Like we've never, we'd never listened to that. We'd always listen to like, you know, 94.9 The Rock in Oshawa or like Magic 106.1 here in, in, uh, in KW or Guelph. Like it's interesting, like it's just, it's interesting how that can color your experience growing up and how it can like shape, you know, so much of who you are. Mm-hmm. My my first my my defining memory of radio when I was growing up was uh, the Christmas Eve broadcasts on CBC. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, yeah, one hundred percent. Do you know what the story what the story is called that I'm going to say? No, no. <laughs> okay, so it's uh it's the good sh- the uh, I think it's the good sh- or the shepherd. I think it is. And every Christmas Eve they do a broadcast of this very you know classic you know disembodied voice a british sounding man uh reading the story the shepherd which is a world war ii story about a fire a fighter pilot who gets stranded out over the ocean on christmas eve and then makes his way back to land and is helped by what turns out to be i think it's you know extraterrestrial spirit or something like that you know but that's like that was a defining moment for me for radio and i remember this and i still make a point every christmas eve of tuning into it because we'd always go we had a ritual go to my mom's side of the family for christmas celebrations on christmas eve and then we'd pull into our church uh, breslau mennonite and we'd stay in the car for the start of it because we wanted to hear the end of that and every year we did that and like to this day like i still that is i try to make that my ritual on christmas eve because it was just like such a monumental occasion in my life and you know it was just uh, it's something that just really stuck with me I find it interesting um, the the idea of radio on that's in the background that you can tune out versus actually act- actively listening to it and I think because I I don't I find the audio notable it's not always agitating but it's always notable I'm always aware of it being on you know I have two young children I just would give anything for dead silence all like you know in my house just for there to be no sound and uh, my partner uh, loves radio and loves having it on all the time he loves having the CBC uh, talk radio on that's how he keeps track of time but we have we regularly have this argument where he will have it on ostensibly because he's listening to it and I would prefer to not have it on but I don't say anything and then I will there something will happen where it will um <laughs> Matt's just taking a call right now <laughs> Talk about audio. yeah bad drills <laughs> bad audio drills but we'll have the the radio on and I'll be listening to it, and then I'll I'll say to David, "Oh, that that's interesting. I didn't know about that." And he'll say, "What?" And I'm like, "Well, the 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 thing that we've just been listening to for the past half hour." And he say, "Oh, I yeah, I, I wasn't really listening to it." And and it it it, it really agitates me because he can <laughs> he can block it out. He he wants it on and he wants to hear it, but he can block it out, and I can't. Yeah. And then I get roped into actually listening to this thing that I would have chosen not to listen to. 
And then I can't even talk to him about it because he's not even actually <laughs> listening to it. It's just part of his ritual. It's yeah. his process. And I also think it's a comfort thing too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I also still have this memory of, of me growing up. I was, uh, I was, I grew up and I, I didn't like to be alone. I was an only child, and so my parents, my mom taught in Hamilton, my dad taught. He was a construction worker, so he'd come home at around like five thirty, six o'clock. I would finish up school at three thirty when I was in grade three, grade two, grade four, um, and I'd walk home because it was right down the street. And I was always afraid of being in home in the home alone. Um, and then the radio, like I, whenever I came in, it would like my first unlock the door, not even take my bag off, go straight to the radio, turn that on, and like just having those voices there. I wasn't listening to it, but like it was the presence of somebody. And obviously, it's you know it's sort of you know, ridiculous to think that that person they don't know that I'm in there, they don't know I'm listening to it. But like the radio can give that sort of human contact. And, and there's a comfort factor with it as well um, that I think is, is another reason why I think maybe people choose to have it on in the background, even if they're not listening to it. It's sort of like, it's, it's comforting to know that there's someone else who's there and you feel like you have a relationship with that person, um, even if that relationship is just you existing in the same space as their voices also existing. Yeah, if, the, if those other voices had been angry teenagers yelling at you when you actually <laughs> picked up the yeah. phone, you would have a very different attitude about those voices yeah. in your house. For sure, for sure. I'm totally with you, though. Like, I, I don't know what it is. Like, so when we were living at home, there was always background noise. Like, there was, like, you know, like, radio, TV, et cetera. There was always something. And then me and my fiancé moved out, and for that first week, we didn't have internet, like, as no, as is normal. And, like, that week drove me insane. Like it felt like the longest week just because there was nothing, nothing in the background. You know, I don't know. I don't know why that became such an important thing, but like that's when I like fully noticed it that like pretty much always <laughs> I need to have some background noise. Otherwise, I'm like going insane. And I think people use, I think that's really interesting because people can use the radio for different purposes, right? It can be, it's, it's, you know, it's there obviously. The intent is to have, you know, thoughtful, meaningful engagement, but people don't always. People can use it for different things. It can be there in the background just as sort of comfort. It can be there just to fill a silence. You know, it doesn't have to be um, used as the direct listening experience or direct like engagement experience. It does fulfill a lot of different you know human needs in people's lives. I think. Mm-hmm. So you are listening to Midtown Conversations. This is Danielle, and I'm talking to Alex and Matt, and we were chatting about the importance of radio and audio in our daily lives. Goodbye to radio. Goodbye to the things that we know. And calculate passages. And bloom like a tiger lily in July And lovers will die And lovers will rise past the darkness we've seen So stop telling lies Start falling blind in the deep.
David, welcome. Happy World Radio Day. Happy World Radio Day to you, too. Um, so you are a, a, an international radio enthusiast. You, you talk about radio as being uh, a unique and important medium, particularly in development context. So I just was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about why you think that radio is 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 special as as a media form and and what it can it is uniquely positioned to do. Yeah, radio is a uh, it's an amazing medium. Um, yeah, for so many reasons. One, it, as you say, it's it's uh, it's like very accessible as a medium. Um, <clears throat> still, one of the uh, uh, widest consumed uh, of all the media around the world. Um, and and largely because it's it's very inexpensive, it's easy to uh, receive. Um, uh, literacy is not required to consume the medium, um, and also fairly easy to produce, as uh, as evidenced by what we're doing at Midtown Radio. Um, you know, the, the where technology is now to be able to record uh, podcasts or just audio files of any sort on um, a fairly typical phone or. Uh, small other recording device it's an easy medium to get into so is is it the accessibility that has is the reason that it it has tended to form around specific types of communities or scenes that or you know that there there's something very localized about radio that that despite its its uh, ability to distribute far and wide there seems to be sort of a, a community mm-hmm. basis for it and is mm-hmm. that because of the accessibility you think um, I think that's because of the of the technology, and as the traditional sort of over the air broadcast, um, as that technology worked, or AM or FM, you're you're limited to um, a physical geography, and so you know whether that's you know 25 kilometers or 50 kilometers or something like this, um, it kind of defines the community by how far the the broadcast signal is going to reach, and so. That's why things on like weather are very popular on traditional radio, uh, traffic reports, that kind of stuff. Uh, obviously, that changes with um, internet radio and uh, digital audio broadcasting. We can define the community more on uh, the types of music people are listening to or the types of topics that they're interested in. And so uh, you're, you're tapped into um, the international sort of radio scene in, as a, a development uh tool a little bit. And I was wondering, do you see that changing in terms of the over-the-air broadcast versus uh, digital, um, in, in particularly in the international context very broadly? So looking at a, a, a country that's developing, you know, Canadians 
do this kind of spoiled thing where we complain that people in other countries who don't have the same services as we do, who don't have the same infrastructure, but they have better cell phone plans, they have better data packages than Canadians do. Um, which is flippant, you know, when people don't have clean drinking water, it's kind of like, well, how spoiled are you that you're, you're envious of their cell phone packages. But, um, you know, in, in that context is, is, is all over the air broadcasting still significant or do you see it slipping away to more digital forms? There's no question the digital audio broadcasting is, is developing in, in leaps and bounds and people's ability to, uh, consume it on their, on their phones. And when they have good, um, good uh, uh, data systems uh, around the world, and, and many places have them. Um, but I don't think it's going to replace over-the-air broadcasting. There's still, it's, a, it's still a very powerful medium. Um, it's still so widely used, um, particularly in the developing world, because it's, uh, say it's, it's very, very inexpensive to, uh, to access. Yeah, I think it's an interesting because people, when we, we talk about our radio station, we mentioned to someone, oh, I just, we created a radio station. The first thing they ask about is uh, the frequency. They want <laughs> to know the what's the frequency. Um, uh, you know, so it, 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 the word itself still has that uh, very clear association. I don't know if you, have you found that as well? Or do you, do you still feel like radio, digital radio makes sense? Um, digital, like the uptake of digital radio is, as I say, very strong. Um, but there's no question the image of radio is still over the air. What's the frequency? Um, I have the same experience that you've had in that where the first question people ask is, is what the frequency is. Um, but as the, as the actual consumption of, of the different radio, uh, formats continues, um, I think that perception will, will start to evolve as well. Although we've talked in the past about um, um, maybe being able to get a festival license and do sort of sh short uh, range uh, broadcasting. Uh, and, and what is it that it appeals to you about this, you know, that having the frequency just go to, through Midtown to the neighborhood, that localized uh, event mm -hmm. type? I, I think it's because radio is, um, it's very niche still in, in that sort of community level broadcasting. And it's a lot of fun. I think it gives people a great um, sense of uh, community, sense of belonging when um, you can listen to a, a unique radio station for, you know, the duration of a music festival in one particular geographic location and other people uh, can't get that. Or maybe you get the live version at that time and there's, there's a, a recorded version that comes out afterwards. But it is that connection again to the geography. Mm -hmm. And speaking of uh, accessibility and radio being accessible, I think when we talk about broadcast, people think about the massive radio towers. There was that, um, you know, driving from Nova Scotia to New Brunswick, you go through Sackville and they had that huge mm -hmm. Brad that, that I don't think is even there anymore. Um, uh, but, uh, but the technologies are changing. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about what a radio in a box is? <laughs> Well, let me say that the um, the things in, in Sackville, New Brunswick, mm -hmm. were the towers for shortwave broadcasting. And that was part of the uh, Radio Canada International system. Um, they've started to evolve a lot of that into uh, digital audio broadcasting as well. So that part is changing. But um, yeah, radio in a box is a very interesting, uh, also uh, sort of new technology. And it's as, as the, the systems are getting smaller and smaller, it's taking the basic components of a radio station and, and fitting it into a rack that is uh, about the size of a uh, small refrigerator. Um, with that size of, of components, um, the broadcast uh, radius is about 
you know, 20, 25 kilometers, depending on where you're situating it. And so it's an in interesting way to be able to um, set up radio stations in uh, a very short amount of time, doing it in unique locations that don't have uh, other services, and it can be moved around. And so we see them used a lot right now in um, uh, disaster assistance, for example, when um, a hurricane happens and uh, the, the normal infrastructure gets uh, damaged or wiped out. Um, these things can be used in a very short period of time, and they become very effective for uh, communicating um, any kind of disaster response information because people still retain the radios. It's still fairly easy to get access to um, over-the-air broadcasting receivers, whether it's in a car or just from somebody's home or whatever the case may be. So, Dave, what is a what sparked your interest in radio? Um, I think my earliest memory of radio is uh, is sort of seeing like a, an old ham radio and um, seeing my grandfather uh, work this and be able to not only receive uh, information from around the world and uh, all sorts of interesting radio programs coming in, whether it's uh, music or people talking. Or, uh, and it was interesting as a young child to, to be hearing people talking in different languages. And um, that really sparked an interest, but it's like this big, you know, old kind of radio set that would do this. And I got a, um, a let's say a strong interest in the technology from there and then got back to my, um, you know, my parents' house and started uh, disassembling radios. <laughs> And so as a young child, it was, a, it was a, a fun thing to try and figure out how they worked. But of course, I didn't know how to put them back together. So there was a lot of discussion about the importance of radio from mm -hmm. that point on. But even in my house, we, uh, we listened to radio all the time uh, from just sort of listening to music and, and trying to record like little mixed tapes uh, as, as a kid and pulling different music off the radio. Um, to hearing the, the radio dramas on Sunday nights or uh, the comedy shows and that sort of thing. Um, and so there was always sort of unique programming. And I think this was um, the kind of thing that you could do up in your room as a kid, right? And not, uh, not necessarily have the supervision of your parents. So you're listening to Midtown Radio. We're chatting on World Radio Day uh, about some of our fond radio memories and some of uh, the reasons that we love radio. If you have a radio story, please uh, tweet us at Midtown Radio KW um, or send us a note on email at midtownradiokw at gmail.com. Happy World Radio Day, everybody. That was my conversation with David Harms, co-founder of Midtown Radio. Up next, we're going to hear a song from a local band called Onion Honey, and this is their cover of the classic In the Pines.
Happy World Radio Day, everyone. I'm Danielle DeVoe from Midtown Radio, and we are here with one of our favorite bands. We have Matt and Allison from Eye the Mountain. You hear the music all the time. You hear their their song debuts mm-hmm. um, all the time, and they have a new album coming out in April, so that's also very exciting. But um, because we have a lot of international listeners today, we wanted to um, talk a little bit about what it's like to be a musician in Canada, which is kind of a particular experience. There are different uh, challenges in Canada than maybe some other countries. So um, maybe just uh, give give our listeners a sense of, you know, what what a week in the life of a working musician in Canada might look like. Great. Well, first of all, hello world. Uh, it's great, to, great to have us. Uh, great to be back here on Midtown Radio. Thanks so much, Danielle, for having us. Um, I mean, the, uh, a day in, or a week in the life of a Canadian musician. I mean, I think that one of the bigger challenges is just the geography in Canada. And I mean, it's partially our band situation. Um, we happen to have a band member who lives about two and a half hours away from us here in Kitchener. Um, so a lot of our time is spent traveling either to or from band practice. Um, but extrapolating that out, like that's sort of the Canadian musician experience. I mean, Canada is very big. And so unlike in a lot of other um, countries um, where you can sort of go from, you know, mid-sized town to mid-sized town, it's maybe like 15, 20 minutes away. In Canada, it's sort of like two hours away or like three hours away. Or if you go out west, it's five hours away or something like that. So, I mean, that's uh, a big part of our time is spent and a lot of like the logistics, um, or a lot of our time is spent sort of like figuring out logistics in terms of travel and who's going to go to whose house, band mm. practicing and stuff like that. So that is definitely one challenge that, that we face personally as a band. Mm-hmm. But then like as a touring musician in Canada, that's a bigger challenge for all Canadian musicians, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for your East Coast tour, Allison, do you know how many... How many kilometers or miles you guys covered in the end? Um, oh, shoot. I don't remember. But the farthest that we went was Cape Breton, which is like a, a part of uh, Nova Scotia. And that, I think, is like 20, 20 hours from Kitchener. Is it? Would it be about 20 way. hours? It's it's pretty far. Like we kind of took the tour in different steps. We started in Kitchener and then went to Kingston, which is about four hours away, Ottawa, another two hours, and then kind of every day it was between like a two-hour drive, depending where we were going, or some days we did like a big five- or six-hour drive. So we kind of chunked it out, but uh, the furthest place we were, I do not know the kilometers, to be honest, but uh, probably about 20 20 hours away from home. So, yeah, there's... There's so many places to go, but uh, a lot of driving in between and, and yeah. Just the, on the kilometers aspect, I actually do know how many uh, kilometers okay. it was oh. because <laughs> we uh, didn't get an oil change as we should have before we left. And we ended up driving all the way out to Fredericton uh, and got an oil change there. And then so a little sticker saying like, oh, next oil change in 5,000 kilometers. Uh, and then we had to get an oil change immediately when we got back. You're right. So it was... In excess of 5,000 kilometers. <laughs> right. And Fredericton is, for those people who are listening from maybe out of the country, Fredericton is like already on the East Coast. And we had to drive, you know, out to the east, out farther east and then all the way back to Ontario. And that was like in excess of 5,000 kilometers. Mm-hmm. So we probably were like, what, 7,000 maybe? 
yeah. a lot enough that we had to get a new car yeah. when we got back yeah <laughs> and and in terms of the span of canada Kitchener isn't even halfway across Canada from the East Coast. Yeah. Like you're still I- on the east side of Canada yeah. when you're going yeah. from Kitchener to the East Coast. Another idiosyncrasy about Canadians that uh, I guess we will have shown in this segment is that Canadians do often measure distance by driving hours. So if someone <laughs> asks how far is it from Kitchener to Toronto, you say it's one hour or it's four hours if there's if it's rush hour and there's yeah. traffic. And it, yeah, well, it's also measured by like, you know, you take for granted the, the fact that it's going to be 401 Tra- mm-hmm. like peak traffic right so when i say it's like you know three hours to oshawa it's not actually three hours to oshawa if there was no traffic but you just there just always is traffic mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. We, we just take that for granted yeah. so. it's funny we're now getting so we did our east coast tour in the fall so now we're getting all these questions from people like oh are you going to go out west next but the drive out east there's like like large cities to play at probably every like 60 kilometers or even closer than that but going out west (laughs) there's a lot more like farmlands and like not really a lot going on in between so people are like oh yeah like you must be going out west next but that is a significantly larger trip like driving all around the great lakes driving across manitoba across saskatchewan like that is quite a trek so it'll probably be another year or so before we try to go there it's although it seems like just like oh the east coast one year and then the west coast next it's like a way bigger way bigger adventure to take on so well i mean something that's kind of cool about the geographical aspect of it is uh, for a musician is like it almost becomes a bit of like a challenge like crossing canada is like a big milestone like you know if you were playing in england like yeah it's like a it's you know england's a you know it's a bigger country it's it's pretty big you know compared to some other countries mm-hmm. um but like you know it's not that big of a deal to cr- go from one side to the other unless you um, live there in which case you consider it a very big deal sure one side to the <laughs> sure other. but like for in canada it's like okay if you if you if you're you sort of like reached a level like you know that's sort of almost like a, a credibility milestone when you've gone from one side to the other um actually there's a uh, an artist that i know jeremy fisher um, who's one of my aunt's friend's sons, and he has a, a couple of fantastic albums. And so before he was releasing his first album, he biked uh, from one side of Canada to the other. And I mean, that is commitment. Like, that is amazing to be able to do that. That's like weeks and weeks and weeks. And I guess he just had his guitar on his back, and he would just bike from you know Nova Scotia all the way out to, to British Columbia. And he actually wrote a few songs like based on where he was. Um, in Canada during that tour so yeah I did notice that I mean because I I grew up in Alberta and um, and I actually drove uh, I did my PhD in Vancouver and I drove from Vancouver to Nova Scotia sort of at the end of my of my degree to move back in with my parents for a little while live in the dream in my late 20s but everything (laughs) worked out it's fine so if you ever have to move back with your parents it it can be okay in the end Um, but the when I moved out here, I was always amazed because in Alberta, as you say, you know, there's a lot of hours between cities. So mm-hmm. to drive two hours to somewhere didn't really matter that much to me. It didn't seem absurd. But then um, when I was in sort of south, uh, southwestern Ontario, where your two-hour drive is in traffic and it's kind of miserable, mm-hmm. people are very averse to doing that. And it, it yeah. always seemed like, you know, two hours, that's not such a big deal. But yeah, it is if you're... if 
if it's in traffic and, yeah. and it's kind of a different experience. That's the thing. I mean, two hours driving, um, you know, to, you know, when we were on tour, for example, like two hours driving from Halifax to, you know, Truro is like pretty enjoyable. It's some good scenery. There's some beautiful trees. There's like nobody on this, you know, you're, you're on a divided highway and there's nobody around. Yeah. Like you see like <laughs> two cars. Um, and that's great. Like it's, it's really nice to drive and you can sort of relax and have a good time with your bandmates and, and listen to some great music or it's just like a very relaxing experience. Driving into Toronto um, to do a show after you've had a full day of work, yeah, less so, mm-hmm. less relaxing, <laughs> less good, uh, less good scenery, I would say. Yeah. Less natural oh, yeah. scenery. <laughs> so what's, what's next for I the Mountain in terms of your lives as working Canadian musicians? Mm. Um, I mean, the biggest thing for us is just like trying to go to new places, try to, you know, meet new people and just keep like making those connections so that we can keep playing in more and more places. Like we've the past year we've been able to make some really great connections with different communities like big and small like we always say that one of our favorite venues is actually in Campbellford Ontario which is um, like a small town kind of north of Toronto northeast I guess of Toronto and every time we go there we play like a very small pub that probably has a capacity of like 40 people mate no 30 people probably but it is one of, it, yeah, <laughs> it's like squishy, uh, but it's one of our favorite places to go. So just like making those connections with different communities uh, has been really special to us this year. And we're just hoping to to do that, to return to the ones we love and and uh, go to some new places. And I mean, all of us have jobs on top of being in a band um, and we would really love to just make being a musician a sustainable thing you know it's it's tricky um especially with a group of five people you know making sure we can um you know have money for food and rent and and all those things but we're just yeah hoping the more shows that we play the more we can make it a sustainable thing Mm -hmm. great thanks so much guys for coming in thank you for having us thanks so much so you just heard our chat with matt and allison from i the mountain uh And we are going to listen to their newest single, Winter Blues, right now. Please enjoy. me. 
You just heard the new single from I the Mountain called Winter Blues. Up next, we have an interview that uh, David Harms, co-founder of Midtown Radio, conducted with Martin DeGroote, uh, who has a new project on CKWR 98.5. So they are going to talk about community development, community arts, and community radio. Well, welcome to the program, everyone. You're listening to Midtown Radio. I'm David Harms, and on today's episode, we caught up with Martin DeGroote. Uh, many of our listeners will know him as a longtime uh, journalist or columnist, uh, an arts and culture reporter um, and cr- critic for the Waterloo Region Record. I believe that was in the 20-plus years. 22 years. 22 years. Which yeah. is longer than gun smoke. <laughs> I just noticed that when I looked at Gunsmoke. And it seemed to be on forever, and the people grew old. And <laughs> so there's a claim to fame. Yeah. Longer than Gunsmoke. Yeah, and what else? I, I recall you were executive director of the uh, Waterloo Region uh, Arts, Council. Arts Council. That's right. Waterloo Region Arts Council for, for about 10 years. Close to a decade, yeah. And currently I'm with the Commons Studio, which is a project of the Working Centre. It used to be called the Multicultural Cinema Club, and I was involved from the beginning because originally the Arts Council was a partner with the Working Centre mm-hmm. and the Social Planning Council, uh, when the when the whole project got underway, we were sort of helped incubate. Okay, great. But eventually, it became a project of the Working Center, and then 
through various twists and turns, I ended up working there. <laughs> That's terrific. And if I understand correctly, um, you're working on another uh, show there uh, called Promenade, uh, a community radio magazine. Community radio magazine, And this yes. is happening for CKWR? For CKWR 98.5, and it's on Tuesdays at 6 o'clock. It's very much a work in progress. I mean, what we do now is a beta form of what this is meant to be, and, uh, but it's coming along quite nicely. That's great. That's great. We, uh, we definitely want to hear about that. On this um, auspicious uh, World Radio Day, um, I think it, it'll be a fun uh, conversation if maybe we can start hearing a little bit about CKWR. It's, uh, a, you know, a, a terrestrial radio station here in Kitchener-Waterloo um, where we're, you know, happy to always collaborate between radio stations. And uh, in the spirit of diversity on the airwaves, why not invite people from other radio stations, right? Especially if they're community-based. Especially community-based stations like CKWR. Exactly. So, yeah. so can you tell us a little bit about um, your role there and, and what uh, CKWR is all about? Right. Well, it started as a project that I tried to launch for the Common Studio. It's complicated. We actually had some funding. I put together an application for funding to do what we called a community digital community scrapbook project. And somewhere when I was doing writing the application, I ran into somebody from CKWR, and I said, hey, do you want to be a partner in this? Write a letter of support. Uh, and the idea was that there used to be these, these community scrapbooks starting back in the 1920s, and the Women's Institutes of Canada uh, did these in all the communities they were involved in. They got money from a donor, from a benefactor to do this, and they collected, it was basically literally scrapbooks, and they stuck in photos and clippings and all of that, and they'd get thicker and thicker and thicker, and over the years, uh, there used to be like 40, 35 or 40 Women's Institutes in Waterloo Region alone. Oh, wow. Uh, and... I happened, I looked up Women's Institutes and I, I, I discovered that the person who still keeps the community scrapbook and is uh, uh, affiliated with uh, one of the last four uh, uh, Women's Institutes in Waterloo Region in New Dundee, uh, and I called her up and so I thought, well, what, what if took that model of these uh, a, a scrapbook and translated that to the digital age where you could take little bits and pieces uh, and kind of collect them in some kind of form and then use those scraps, whether it's sound bites or visual uh, uh, photos or whatever you could put together, uh, and then you could draw on that and put them together in various combinations to tell stories. That's the basic idea. Yeah, that's So they amazing. were on board, so they signed the thing, said, fine, we'll be part. And the idea is that we just collect little quotes or whatever and maybe they go on there. And uh, through that, uh, they invited me to be on their board and so I said, sure, okay. <laughs> and then they also uh, said, we'd really like to develop uh, a community magazine-type show. Um, and so this is a, a weekly, uh, like It was meant hour? to be daily, but I okay. said, that's way too yeah. quick. We have to start with just one day, and we'll build it. Uh, so that's how Promenade came about. Uh, that's just a, a, a placeholder name. It might not work permanently. The only reason we, it's called Promenade because... The themes, years ago, I was part of a radio show on CKWR, Monday Night with the Arts, uh, and I suggested at the beginning that we use 
Mussorgsky's pictures and an exhibition, right? It's an orchestral piece, but mm -hmm. there's also a piano version. And it's an orchestral piece about, it tells the story of somebody going to an, a visual art exhibition and they go from one picture to the next. And in between, there's a theme that they call promenade that's meant to depict the viewer when he leaves one, or she, leaves one picture in the exhibition, goes to the next. And that's repeated four, five, six times. So I thought, we'll use that between the segments. And uh, that's how the name came about. But it also kind of is meant to convey that the pace is going to be slower and more leisurely and uh, that actually we're, we're painting pictures, we're, we're telling stories, and it'll go from one to the next. That sounds like a really nice um, sort of meander through the, 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 the programming schedule with it. So um, is, it, it, you've had the first episode already? We've been on the air every week since October the 22nd. Oh, wow. Yeah. What, what kind of stories have you been telling? Well, this week is the first time we've ever had three segments, and the first one was an interview with the newly announced folk artist in residence at Joseph Schneider House, and she's an embroiderer. So I did an interview with her. And then uh, this co-op student from Conestoga College that's doing a placement at the, at the Common Studio on his own initiative uh, did an interview, a report on the uh, coldest night of the year walk. It's a fundraising thing. Uh, so that's the other segment. And the third one is an interview with uh, my colleague at the uh, at CKWR. She does a show called um, Culture. Oh, what is it now again? Cross Cultures. Cross Cultures. She's done, it's, it's a magazine. It was a magazine mm -hmm. at first, and she does a Cross Cultures program every Saturday morning. And so she's organized, she's done for years, she organizes an event on March 21st at Kitchener City Hall uh, to recognize and mark the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. Um, it's a UN program. Um, it goes back to 1960 in the wake of the Sharpeville massacre in South Africa. And she's done that for years and years and years. So I did an interview with her. Great. Sounds like that'll fit in uh, very well if you get it on for World Radio Day. The thing is, it mm -hmm. filled the program so much I didn't have room for my <laughs> promenade themes. It was the first time we ever had <laughs> back-to-back talk. Yeah. So those kind of what comes along, you know, we've done various things, uh, but it's it's a little rough, and we do it little bits and pieces. But then we're not also trying to show that, you know, with volunteers and all that we can do professional. Basically, we do what we can, and hopefully can attract some interest and get people engaged. So w where are you recording these? Are they all happening? At Various the places. We okay. record a segment at the uh, the new studios that they opened up in the old post office in Cambridge because mm -hmm. my volunteer that works with me to do the, the, the technical stuff and actually does the real editing, he lives in Cambridge, so we, we sometimes do it there. We sometimes do it in our facilities and sometimes at the radio facilities. This is something uh, we should probably tell our listeners a little bit about. There's there's an um, amazing amount of um, uh, free or very inexpensive access, uh, professional quality, studio-grade um, facilities all over the region. We are currently um, recording out of the Hefner Studios at Kitchener Public Library, uh, but as you say, similar ones at the old post office in Cambridge yep. and, uh, and and similar ones at libraries uh, everywhere now. It's just, yep. it's really amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you said you're doing on-location work as well? Haven't done too much of that yet, but we plan to. Okay. Yeah, that's, this is something, uh, this is becoming a, a great part of, of uh, broadcasting now. But anyway, we'll get to that when we talk about uh, radio. Um, we'll get, to, uh, as I say, a discussion about uh, digital versus terrestrial radio uh, coming up. Um, if you're just tuning in now, you're listening to Midtown Conversations. My name is David Harms, and I'm here in conversation with Martin DeCroote. We're going to take a short break. Be right back. <laughs> She said, come around the corner, baby, try my grass. I said, no, I won't go. I got to get back home. Hot lover in my bed, hot supper on the stove. And I hope, I hope you know I can sense your heart of stone. Don't, don't you dare freeze me to the bone with that stare. She coaxed me in with cocaine and apple pie. I said, damn me, yo, you can't get straight if you don't get high. It's a coward in my head with no sex appeal. He won't show you any skin. Just tell you how you feel. And I hope, I hope you know I can sense your heart of stone. Don't, don't you dare freeze me to the Welcome back, uh, everyone. You're listening to Midtown Radio. Uh, my name is David Harms, and I'm here in conversation today with Martin DeCroote, a uh, longtime uh, journalist and uh, critic uh, of arts and culture in the Waterloo region. Um, we've been talking about radio on the occasion of World Radio Day, and um, as Martin is on the board of directors and uh, um, editing, producing a, a program called Promenade at uh, CKWR, one of the... Um, uh, community-based uh, radio stations here in Kitchener-Waterloo. We thought it'd be fun to have a bit of a conversation about some of the um, similarities and differences between terrestrial radio and digital radio. So, Martin, I was hoping that sort of off the off the top, you could sort of just tell us a little bit about um, CKWR uh, as a as a radio station. What's what's their concept? What's their philosophy? What are they all about? Yes, now CKWR is. Canada's original community radio station. They were founded in 1973 and uh, with a mandate that talks about education, about uh, arts and culture, uh, and it started at U of W. It's called Wired World because originally the first signals were actually sent not over the internet because that didn't exist then, but over the 
this PA system at at, at the, the University, University of Waterloo. Of Waterloo. Okay, mm-hmm. and they've been wired world ever since. And at one point, they originally intended to become the university station. They gave up on that and went to the community. And, of course, what's now CKMS followed that mm-hmm. and was for the longest time the student radio station at U of W. And then five years ago or whatever, it turned, so it's the other community radio on the air station that we have. Um, and then to fill it out, there's the, the uh, also on the Internet the... Uh, the, the the station for Laurier they have a student station okay. mm-hmm. yeah. and so is it it um, I have to say CKW uh, CKW is one of my favorite radio stations in the in the region and uh, I think if I had to describe the music it would be like British inspired Gen X uh, kind of kind of music and and that sort of thing of course appeals to me. Um, yeah, but is it, it uh, as you say, is a community-based st- station? There's uh, community access? Community-based, yes. Mm-hmm. And they talk about that there's three th- main themes, and one is the adult contemporary music with DJs, etc., during the daytime, uh, with ads and, and all of that kind of thing. And then in the evening and on weekends, there's a lot of multicultural programs and a lot of what they call specialty programs, people with special interests who do uh, programs as volunteers, Okay. It sounds, in a, in a way, uh, you know, a similar setup to what we do at Midtown Radio, where we have what we call our framework broadcasting, which is commercial-free, but it's all um, all local music from the Monday to Friday workday kind of schedule. Yeah. Um, we have some specialty programming on the weekends, uh, all locally produced. The The music isn't necessarily local, but the, the shows are locally produced. We, we have a number of... Um, uh, DJs that operate out of a different uh, different nightclubs uh, around the region. They oh, produce specialty programming, and so similar to what CKWR, where they I, th- I think they change sort of languages a little bit uh, through the weekends. We um, we go through different musical genres, and so there's uh, sort of a, a, a funk and and soul show uh, followed by um, something that is a little bit more uh, uh, experimental, hip-hop, breakbeats, these types of things, and then one that goes into um, a lot of uh, sort of contemporary hip-hop and, and rap and, and uh, sort of into the evenings on Friday and Saturday nights. So it's a similar kind of framework. It's similar, comparable, and yet different enough that it justifies having two full programs. <laughs> That's right. right? Yeah. Um, I, actually, I was interesting. I was looking up some statistics earlier, and... One of the things that that we can see with with a fair amount of clarity is is uh, Canadians' uh, radio listening habits, and so uh, it seems that about eighty percent of Canadians listen to the radio for approximately ten hours per week, and so that's that's good news for everybody, whether you're listening uh, digitally or uh, over a, a traditional terrestrial radio. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interesting things I, I saw with that was the split between those two is about 50-50. It's, it's actually uh, 49% digital, 51% wow. terrestrial. And, and so um, it, it's kind of, to me, it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, breakdown of the listening habits and to seeing, yes, people are still listening in their cars and, and you know, the spaces where you can't listen digitally, um, but a lot of people are tuning in um, whether it's something like CKWR or something like Midtown Radio, still tuning in uh, through their computers while they're at work, um, that type of thing. And there's overlap between the two, right? I'm a CBC lifelong habit, right? I listen to it all the time because I like (coughs) talk and Mm -hmm. learning and all that kind of thing. Uh, I can pick my own music, but that you can't get anywhere else. 
but I listen to it on my computer uh, or through their their mobile or on my phone, that kind of thing. I rarely listen to it over the air anymore. Um, and even CKWR, I tune in on the the streaming. That you do, do, yeah, yeah. 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 Are, do you have favorite uh, favorite programs um, across some of these different radio stations? Well, particularly um, uh, on the CBC. I usually start in the morning. I, I see what time it is, and it's getting yeah. near the half hour or the hour. I tune in to see what the latest news is. Um, and over the years, there have been so many wonderful programs on CBC. It's a real asset. And it was such a great thing when they came here to our cities. Right? Yes. We actually, the Arts Council, they came to us, the CBC itself, and asked, look, we really want to expand it to other centers, and we want... Kitchener Waterloo, they they said KW is very unfortunate because it's Waterloo Region, of course, it's the three cities. Uh, and because I was Waterloo Regional Arts Council, I'm have Waterloo Region in my mind. I almost bristle when somebody says KW. And they chose KW even though their signal includes Guelph and all. Anyway, that's another <laughs> beside the point. But it's really great that they're here and uh, it, it's an asset to our cities. Yeah, I think they moved in right around the time, uh, personally, that I, I moved to uh, the region. And uh, I remember the day they opened up, and, and uh, as somebody who was also a, a lifelong listener of CBC uh, and, and living downtown Kitchener, yeah. went uh, went down for the opening. And, and yeah. it was, yeah, it was nice to see the, the return of storefront radio. Yeah. And we helped lobby for that. And I remember people, uh, Louisa D'Amato, uh, the, the writer for the record, saying, that will never happen. That will never happen. But it did happen. But it did, yeah. yeah. And so far, so good. What are they? Uh, eight years, eight years in running now. Mm, yeah, seven or eight years. Anyway, something like that. So, um, one of the things I wanted to ask uh, again about some of the differences is, you know, everybody struggles to support a radio station. And I know you mentioned CKWR has uh, some commercials during their daytime programming. There's also it's listener supported. It's listener supported donations. And the ads, sometimes in the evening and on the weekends, too. It's throughout the whole day. Okay. It is, through, yeah, yep. through the whole programming yep. schedule. Our artists say we're, we, you know, we operate uh, commercial-free, but um, definitely have supporters. Uh, first, the, the city of Kitchener, um, through one of their placemaking grants, yeah. was, was helpful to get things uh, started. And we've recently received one of the Waterloo Region uh, Arts uh, Fund grants um, to help produce uh, a number of... Uh, number five specifically, um, radio dramas okay. that we're starting to schedule to do in the uh, in the large studios here. I think that's the Don and Tracy Zare uh, studio next to us. So that's going to be a fun experiment. I uh, hope you'll drop by over For sure. that time as well. Yeah, And I'd like to do a little segment about that. I think it's a great project. I'm so glad to read that. Yeah, you know, we should mention one of the, um, I think when you and I first met, it was uh, this Probably this time last year, I, I remember it was in the in the winter, and you were writing an article uh, about our uh, station, Midtown Radio, taking off for the um, community edition. For the community edition, and uh, this um, it was such an interesting article because the as we learned, the community edition, the 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 readership of the community edition is very uh, much like our our listenership. Yes, and so um, when that story went out, the amount of uh, uh, sort of calls that we had, other musicians and volunteers and and people with other program ideas, it was really. Uh, sort of instrumental in the the growth of a station now that is. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Less yeah. than a year old, yeah. See the power of journalism. Yeah. It's still it's still something, right? Yeah, and so maybe now is a is also a good time to to take a break. But I know when we come back, we're going to start to talk about some some radio memories. And uh, so if anyone's just tuning in or listening to Midtown Radio, 
Uh, my name is David Harms, and we are in conversation with Martin de Groot. We'll be right back. One, two, three, four. Footpath, stone body, dream tree, river humming. One foot on shade trundles out a door. I enter light this line to light a soul. Whetstone tree spirit river tidal. Silent Cloya Blue Carpet Old Passage I enter Light this line to light So Welcome back. You're listening to Midtown Radio. My name is David Harms, and I am in conversation today with Martin DeCroote. Um, we've been talking about radio. We've been talking about uh, some new programs, the new uh, Promenade show coming up, um, uh, say, on uh, CKWR, and some other great uh, um, distinctions between terrestrial radio and, and uh, digital radio. And because it is World Radio Day, we, um, we wanted to take the opportunity to ask Martin about some of his uh, early experiences in uh, listening to radio and experiences with radio. Uh, Martin, you said you're, you're originally from the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we'd be curious just to hear um, how that uh, was, was playing out in, in that, that time and space in history. Yeah, so my earliest memories go back to the old world, right, to, uh, to the Netherlands. And our family radio set was one of these, um, not quite bigger than a bread box, but a <laughs> Philips radio station. <laughs> and the front would glow, and it had sort of a plastic frame that you could see through with the names of all the, like Leningrad and Prague. And, all okay. that. and the dial would go along. and So because all these places are closer together. You could get the whole world when you tuned into it. And I do remember that being in the house and and learning. uh, There was a a Tchaikovsky piece. It was my favorite when it came. I was two, right? That kind of thing. And also remember my earliest uh, news broadcasts and uh, there was something about the Mau Mau rebellion. I was scared. I was... (laughs) But then we came to Canada and we brought that old Phillips set with us and they, my father bought a better radio, and I got to keep this, this old, which drew in signals from far, and it was no longer Leningrad and Prague, but I used to listen AM radio. Did it become And particularly Buffalo? at night when you could go, because the signals carry so far at mm-hmm. night, so you'd find WABC in, in New York and WBZ in Boston and KDK, Pittsburgh. I can still hear the jingle. And I've spent so much time with that, with that set. And the other fondest memory is like my parents came here, they're Christian Reformed, they're pretty conservative, uh, but my brother and I, like three, four, five years old, uh, when rock and roll first came around, like it was like the days of 
all shook up, you know, Elvis Presley, he was breaking. And we just loved this, like my two-year-old brother when I was four. And my father got a kick out of the, how we loved it, so that we weren't allowed to watch, listen to this stuff on our own and throughout the, the week. But on Saturday night, on literally on my father's knee, we would listen to the hit parade on CJBQ, the local Belleville radio okay, station. Yeah. And it was just marvelous. I mean, I got an introduction to rock and roll practically out of the cradle. And also, it just was, the timing was about right. And it was just one of my favorite memories. Uh, and every now and then, you know, my father would say, oh, this is, and I remember once we would argue about the lyrics or something, he went down and bought a, a copy of the, the hit parade where they printed out the list, but we weren't allowed to look at the whole magazine. Plus, <laughs> I found out in in in, in Buff, uh, no, in uh, Rochester, the AM radio station had a top forty, but that was too much. We were not allowed to listen. That was too so you Ten mentioned uh, sort of sitting on your father's uh, lap uh, listening to us, this. Yeah. Was it was it was it often a family experience when you were when you were listening to the, the radio? Three of us. My mom didn't pay too much attention. No. I mean, she but she didn't relate to that at all. But the three of us certainly did. Yeah, it's it, it's funny. I, I um, I, I think about our, our family experience of doing something similar, except there was the TV that was downstairs, and and that was to be sort of the collective viewing, and then everybody had radios up in their rooms, and so when we were sort of sent to our rooms, go play after dinner or whatever, just you know, get out of the way. Uh, my brother and I would go up and we'd listen to the radio in in either his room or my room or yeah. whatever it was, um, and it's it was sort of also like growing up on a on a steady diet of rock and roll. This is in Toronto, so this was like Q one hundred seven was the main was the main station. Uh, Chum FM at the time was was also um, had a very interesting programming, and some of these like. I have such great early memories of the the Sunday night lineups that happened, where there was, um, you know, often the the radio dramas. Um, this is one of the reasons why we're trying to bring these back on on Midtown Radio. But such amazing memories of listening to this serialized programming, where you'd you'd sort of tune in uh, week to week and find out what was going on, um, all often uh, followed by some sort of comedy hour, which did get a little saucy for uh, you know eight, ten, twelve year old kids. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good, uh, good times. But um, it's funny we, how we were very late with the TV. It was kind of forbidden in mm-hmm. the Christian Reformed Church. Movies. I never saw a movie till I was eighteen. <laughs> and for us, we were urban, and most of the people in the congregation were in the country. But uh, we were among the first to get a television. But it was quite late in the game. Oh wow! Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Uh, like what? What time period are we talking? What year was that? Uh, in the sixties. Okay. Yeah, sixty-eight was when I first saw him, and then I was eighteen. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's an amazing part of uh, of media history. Yeah, and so fast forward to your experience in Canada. Does this does this Phillips Radio still exist? No, unfortunately, I no. wish it did. Have you ever been to where Globe Studios is? There's a guy who has one of the studios, and he deals with antique radios. Okay, he and. He, I think he's from the Caribbean somewhere, but he has the most... You just go in there and look at all the... And I remember going there not long ago and seeing a, a, a unit almost exactly mm-hmm. like the one that we had. This is interesting because we uh, still have to this day in, in uh, our living room a, uh, a very old ham radio 
that was my grandfather's. Okay. And it was a, a similar experience of being a very young child, but uh, in the basement and, and, you know, they're just, it had a lot of like knobs and buttons and things to push and stuff that's very exciting to a young child. But the ability to, to tune in and uh, across shortwave and shortwave some of these thing things that you were yeah. mentioning, you know, and we would be hearing uh, programs for the first time in different languages. And, uh, you know, as a young child, I'm sure this is an experience like people today where they're, you know, accessing stuff through the Internet and going, wow, there's a whole there's a whole sort of uh, well, many, many worlds out there uh, that you're unaware of at the time. And it was very exciting to sort of understand that, the, you know, there's there's people uh, on the other side of the world that are Absolutely. broadcasing. Who knows what they're talking make about? That kind That's of connection. right. <laughs> Squid, all these little squealy sounds that you get. And then. You, f- you find something and it turns out to be like Moscow mailbag or something like that. I particularly remember they talked about how many tractors they made and a new subway open in Riga or something. That's right. It, it's a good thing the obscure that. stories are the popular ones, right? Because yeah. this is, you know, this is what gives us hope. <laughs> so if you if you compare that early experience that you had to what your uh, radio listening circumstances are like today, how does that how does that compare? Is it um, is it still a little bit communal, or is it much more solitary? Well, the connections, like on my AM, the continental connections, and on the shortwave global, that you get through the internet. But there's still, for me, the news and keeping up with what's going on, and even music and all that. So that still is the main. I don't have even have a television anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't watch television. Uh, not because I'm snobby about it, it just doesn't really work. Whereas it fills a lot of time, and I have it on all the time. And in two areas, one is the CBC, and especially since we're our own local station, and then also a growing interest in this other sort of community radio and other medium Mm -hmm. ecosystem, which I think is really interesting and also can play an important role in the demise of other types of media. I wrote for the paper for 22 years. Sometimes I think they're not even trying. You know, yeah. you, There's all sorts of things they can do, but it's not going to last, and that is going to be a huge vacuum, along with you know mm-hmm. the, the, the lack of resources for the television stations, the commercial radio stations, local stories, local news, uh, local media are of real interest to me, and I think will help fill the gap is the richness of our mm-hmm. community. And, uh, the community edition, the student things. There's also a, a student station at Gonzo Yeah, it's a very good College. point. Yeah, we have an amazing ecosystem that's here. It's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I don't think it, of, of in competition or anything. No, we're and we're just play a small role now. A lot of people aren't even aware that we exist. But if we work together, we could do something great, I think, and really serve this community. I think you're, you're onto something there. Yeah, this is the spirit of collaboration in our, in our region. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it, like, it, it's just so interesting about the, um, the enduring power of, of radio. And to say we're, we're sort of, you know, 100 years, uh, approximately 100 years of, of radio happening in, in yeah. uh, North America. And uh, yeah, people keep saying, oh, yeah, radio's dead, radio's gone. Why are you guys starting a radio station? It's, it's 2020, come on. You know, and I say this, um, the, the community aspect of it, whether it's, it's rooted in a, in a geography of, of terrestrial radio or more of a, um, a community of, of sentiment by people who want to be there um, across digital broadcasting and the Internet. But it's, 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 it's fantastic this way. And, the, yes. um, you know, we see it in our listeners. We see it in the, the feedback that we get. 
and it's of a piece. Audio itself is on the rise. Podcasts, audio books, all those things are part of the same field, in part because it has all sorts of advantages. I mean, listening you can do while you're doing the dishes or walking along or in your car. You can't do that with video. That's right. And this must be the enduring uh, side of it. Is that absolutely the one medium you can do while you're doing other things. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's funny. I, um, you know, I, I hear you talking about CBC and listening to, you know, the news, and you can kind of tell time by it. And uh, I do something very similar. And um, at a at a point, I, I, you know, you've heard you've heard enough news, and it's like you gotta you gotta get off it. And I still find a fascination in listening to radio stations that uh, are in languages that I don't understand. Yes. And so, you know, for us, it's it's you know a, a couple of frequencies uh, along the band, and we have uh, Radio Canada, um, French language yeah. broadcasting. Uh, my my French is is minimal, and so I can listen to this, and I can still uh, have the benefit of the the music, the benefit of the company. Um, still be able to keep track of the time as you're going on, but not not be sort of engaged in the same way um, by what it is that people are talking about because I'm not understanding it. And, but uh, it's still a pleasure even just to hear the a, cadence a, it's a, it's and then a, a piece of music that fits in with that. It's a pleasure. It's a it's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. And and Martin, it's an absolute pleasure having you here in the studio. And uh, I want to say thank you very much for coming by. And I hope we can do this again. Uh, any form of collaboration with uh, CKWR and Midtown Radio is is always welcome. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to Midtown Conversations. You just heard a conversation between David Harms uh, from Midtown Radio and Martin DeGroote from CKWR. And we also heard a couple of local songs in there. We listened to a Richard Garvey song that I particularly like called Firecracker. And we also heard uh, a song from Jesse Mattis called Footpath, which is one of my favorite songs on the go right now. Up next, we have a great little conversation that I had with a couple of city councillors from the region, uh, from the city of Kitchener, Sarah Marsh, and from the city of Waterloo, Jen Vasek. And they are chatting with me about art and culture and all of the exciting things that happen in the region. You're listening to Midtown Radio. My name is Danielle DeVoe. I'm a producer with the station, and I am here chatting with Sarah Marsh and uh, Jen Vasek, both city councillors from uh, Kitchener and Waterloo, respectively. Um, and I am just interested to know um, from both of you, you're both very involved in the arts. You're both uh, on the board of directors for the Kitchener-Waterloo Art Gallery, and I know I've seen you also at other um, art and creative culture sort of events around the region. And I just wanted to hear from you both, what, you know, why you have chosen to take that on in your professional roles and, and what really, why you prioritize that, that, that element of public life. Mm -hmm. um, well, I believe so strongly that the arts have not only an economic value, that they have that as well, that they have an intrinsic value to build a society that we want to live in and that we can imagine a good society to live in. And so some of my most city councillors, like we all have other stuff going on on the side. Um, and so my, the other half of my life is I'm working on a PhD. And as part of my PhD, I was, I was 
looking at how social justice educators in the school system, so educators who are really care about fairness and equity, uh, if and how they use the arts to help students navigate uh, the school system. And, and what I found was that the arts are, not, are, are a tool for individual youth to just be resilient and get through the day, whether they express themselves through poetry or music or um, any other creative means, but that educators are using the arts as a way to help youth tell their stories and, and speak up about the unfairness that they experience in school. So the arts are both a tool for resilience and resistance. Uh, and I think that KWAG represents using the arts for social change. And so um, not only through the exhibits and the art that they bring, but in the programming that they do, working with people who have very um, from very affluent backgrounds who want to experience the arts to people who might not otherwise be able to afford it. Uh, and mm -hmm. so I see the value of that in KWAG, and, and I'm seeing it even more now that I'm on the board. Mm -hmm. And, oh, and yeah. Sarah, what are oh, you? I mean, well, the arts have always been important to me. Uh, as a young kid, I was really into theater, and uh, mm -hmm. as an adult, I've come to really appreciate the art that others do that I would never be able to do. Uh, but I, I can say that at Kitchener Waterloo Art Gallery, which is, of course, a free gallery that everyone should go to, we have such amazing, high-quality art accessible to all. Uh, it, it has continually impressed me since I started on the board in 2015. And so it's an honor for me to be there and to, to contribute and to be the conduit between the city of Kitchener and the art and the art gallery to make sure that the art gallery remains a priority here at the city mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, despite all the ma major funding priorities that we have, that, that we ensure that the arts are funded, mm -hmm. which they are not funded adequately, but we, we need to continue to press on mm -hmm. uh, at all levels of government. And I would agree with, with Jen that, you know, uh, something about the arts that really can help everybody, whether it's youth at risk or uh, anybody at all different uh, stages of life, to cut through an issue right to the heart and help us understand and reflect what's going on in our culture uh, in, in a way that, that nothing else can. You, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, we're, we're in the Hefner Studios at the Kitchener Public Library, a mm -hmm. great example of the importance of, of investing in creative arts. These are great studios. We see high school students uh, and, and local musicians using these studios to, to, to record their first albums, and it's free of charge. They can use their library card to do it. It's true. And it's one of sort of many great... Um, assets that we have in this region that support creativity. Uh, and I was wondering, for both of you, um, what what's the, the, the cultural event that you most look forward to every year? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, but uh, for me, the, the one that I, uh, well, there's a couple. So mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, kid, the Multicultural Center, uh, sorry, Multicultural Festival mm -hmm. that happens uh, towards the end of June every year is something that is a major highlight in, in my life. It's a time when family members from out of town all gather, and it's, a, it's like a reunion of, of sorts. So I really, I, I really value that. And uh, at the City of Kitchener, we have the Youth Awards, and that's something that I, that I look forward to every year. It's not necessarily focused just on arts and culture, but th that is a theme. 
and uh, and it's something that that really is inspiring. Mm-hmm. Jen, yeah, similarly, it's pretty hard to choose just one. Um, I've been. I was not involved in theater in any way when I was younger. I took a drama class and was like, well, acting is not for me. <laughs> um, but recently I've gotten really into set the, the amazing theater that's happening in town. Mm-hmm. And so I would say a couple that I've really loved are the Impact Festival uh, put on by Empty Space uh, and also the really important dialogue that happens at the Greenlight Green Arts uh, Theater as well. So I've been really impressed by those. And then from a council perspective, I mean, now I'm getting all these opportunities to go to uh, fundraising events too. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's a great, two really wonderful events coming up are the Clay and Glass Gallery Gala. Uh, It's like a, you know, 20s Parisian theme. And then also KWAG has their black and gold. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we've also really been, I'm sorry, I now have five. my kid loves tubas, and so we also really love the Sunday family days at the symphony. Oh, yeah. that's so fun. They're so fun. <laughs> and you can rent, uh, actually, I don't know if you know that you can borrow instruments here at the Kitchener Public Library for free. We have over, I think, a, a close to 200 Yeah, lots instruments. of stuff. And the, uh, maybe a tuba, I don't know. Oh my gosh, I'll check. That's a great also yeah. opportunity to demonstrate the great joint services that Kitchener and Waterloo have together because yes. if you have a library card for Kitchener Public Library or Waterloo you can go to the other one yay, yay. yay. for collaboration mm-hmm. collaboration <laughs> we're all friends here yeah. <laughs> and I uh, when we took out a ukulele for our three year old uh, Bob Egan was here and we talked to him about it and he guaranteed us because he tested it on his son mm. that your three year old will not break the ukuleles so do oh. not worry about taking out the musical instruments. Huh. Sounds like a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Um, you, I don't think you can break them, though. So you can just come and enjoy the instruments. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Thanks so much for talking to me, guys. So thank you for having us. Yeah, me too. This is my first radio interview <laughs> ever. So that, though, that was, you heard from city councillors uh, Sarah Marsh and Jen Vasek from the city of Kitchener and the city of Waterloo.
was the hit single Immigrant from Kitchener's own Alicia Brilla, who has rocketed to a great music career. She is a Juno Award nominated artist, and she's doing fantastic things in the community and also out there on the world stage. Our last conversation that we are going to hear today as part of our World Radio Day programming uh, is a chat that I recorded with Matt Rappelt and Alex Boudreau last fall, where we kind of talked about radio and community and the ways that radio and podcasting can be used to to build communities and join groups and we I thought it would be a nice way to end our conversation about all things radio here it is so welcome back to Midtown Conversations. I'm here uh, with Matt and Alex, and we are chatting about cultural scenes, radio, different audio things. Um, and while we were on our break, uh, Matt had had a question, a burning question about radio that he wanted to, to launch at us. Yeah, so we talked a little bit off the top about uh, the importance of radio and how it had played such a big uh, big factor in you know, our lives or a big factor in um in the way that our development and the way it influenced uh, influenced us. Um, and for me personally, it's been interesting because I've been trying, really trying to get into podcasts because people keep telling me, oh, check out this podcast, check out, you know, check out this, uh, this, this podcast I've been listening to. And I really haven't gravitated to podcasts as a, as a genre, as a medium, 
nearly as much as I do to radio. And I'm curious, I mean, because ostensibly they're very similar in terms of the, the, uh, um, the formats. And, you know, there's a lot of radio programs that are just turned into podcasts um, immediately afterwards. But just for me, the medium has never really grabbed me like radio did when I was growing up and the way radio does still now. So, I mean, my question is, what do you think the difference is between radio and podcasts? And how uh, is, I mean, is there a difference? And maybe we can explore that a little bit about why um, people gravitate towards radio or podcasts or don't gravitate towards podcasts. Just the differences between those. Yeah. So I don't know. My big thing is just that I've noticed that like podcasts, 99% of the time are just talk, talk radio, essentially, just with better audio quality. That's like, that's all I'm getting from it. Whereas radio I've found has become increasingly music based, like specifically that, like to an extreme. So I find that like podcast is taking that talk radio niche and radio is taking the, the music scene, I guess, in like very broad strokes. But that's my take on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the idea of, you know, podcasting as people talking at length about things, maybe not being, you know, with radio, with live radio, you know, there's, there's the time ticking away and you're conscious of having to go to breaks at certain times. Whereas with podcasting, because it's not live to air, you can kind of just allow the, the monologue or the conversation to, to, to go along. And I think sometimes that can lead to, I mean, there's some podcasts that are very expertly done, but then there's also those podcasts where the sound quality is bad because they're speaking at their computer monitor. That's like uh, reflecting the sound back into their mic and, and they're just talking at length about things and kind of, it's not going anywhere. Maybe like uh, this uh, comment is sort of just dragging on. Um, And I think that that, I think there's something about the liveness of radio that appeals to people, even though in reality, a lot of radio is in fact digital radio and pre-recorded. You know, there's some of these nighttime programs that we love the idea that it's like uh, Venus flytrap in WKRP in Cincinnati, like bringing in all of his things and setting the mood and that's, and he's actually there at that time. But, you know, someone who has their several hour show through the night is probably just recording their stuff ahead of time in this very rapid style and not sitting the booth for four hours through, uh, you know, until midnight every night. And, and so radio isn't, isn't the magical live thing that maybe in our heads we think it is. I think that's like, I think there is that romantic idea of, of radio and that liveness factor that is, that really, um, I mean, that does have an appeal to it. I think for me, it's it's the idea of intentionality as well. And we talked earlier about like how we, um, or how I, um, you, you can use radio in different ways in your life and, and it can fill different needs um, depending on how you want to use it. And for me, I feel like I always, I, the, the fact that that talk radio piece um, has sort of been just always there and not necessarily always at the forefront of my attention or forefront of what I've been focused on. I mean, I find with podcasts, it's a totally different listening experience. Like podcasts, like when you go for a podcast, you're deliberately and intentionally seeking out something or a topic or a subject or hosts that you want to engage with. And then you're sitting down and you are in like, it's, it just seems to me to be a different listening experience. Like I have to be focused, I have to be engaged, I need to like 
you know, have to get something out of it. Um, whereas radio, I find like it's just it can be there and you can engage with it or not engage with it. It can be there for the comfort factor. It can be there for the, the learning factor. But it, there's no, you know, just it doesn't feel like as much of an engagement or as much of a responsibility to uh, to to take something out of it, I guess, as the podcast does. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just curious about that. Well, with, with Midtown Radio, it's interesting. When we tell people about Midtown Radio, they're very excited. And then they say, well, how, how do I tune in? And, and what they want is to be able to tune their car stereo to yeah. Midtown Radio. And then we have to say, well, no, it's online. And, and then they'll say, well, is it a podcast? And we have to say, no, like you, you, you can't just go listen to whatever you want, whenever you want. It's streaming. So you, you know, if you want to listen to Midtown Conversations, you have to tune in Sundays at 10 a.m. And that's when it's on. And that's the only time that it's on. We don't, we do eventually want to get the sort of podcast thing going so that people can listen to, to some of these conversations at a later date. But we're not doing that right now. And I think people find that the fact that it's digital but streaming very frustrating. Like if it's digital, people want the convenience of being able to download it and listen to it whenever they want. And if it's if it's over the air, then people understand that it's over the air and then that's fine. And they have to just, they have to tune in at a certain time. And being the, a digital broadcast thing, it, it people, you know, it, it's, it's sometimes frustrating for people. It's like an in-between zone that that is not what people want necessarily. I think it's also like with radio, the, the community aspect is also, I think, a, a big part of it. And I think that's a big part of why I personally find it very appealing is because you know that you're, I mean, even if it's not live per se, you know that you're listening to something at the same time as many other people are listening to it and you're getting something out of it in the way this you're getting the same information at the same time and there is like even if you're not around those people the fact that you know that other people are listening to it or that other people are there taking that in i think there is a, a shared aspect of it as well that is um that 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 builds on um or gives some sort of that romance romantic idea to radio that i think podcasts don't necessarily have i mean yes podcasts course lots of people listen to podcasts but it's not necessarily the sort of same sort of communal or community building um, aspect that radio has Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah and I like one of the exciting things that we've done when we were on vacation in the summer in Nova Scotia I the Mountain had a a song release and we we did that on Midtown Radio and we were able to do that from where we were even though it was kind of like difficult we had slow internet but we were still able to manage to like get the promo together to do the and it sounded great it was awesome and my brother justin devoe professional actor did the (laughs) did the 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 cheesy intro-y voice and um but but it was fun to also see like you know a couple minutes before that that uh that song release was going to happen, pe- the numbers going up, yeah. like people coming together to listen yeah. to this thing. That, and that's that's so cool. That was such a cool experience because Allison and I both, we, I think we were, we were where were we when that, we, where, uh, when that released? We weren't still in Kitchener, I don't think. I think we were on the tour, but we, like, we'd set our alarms because it was in the morning. We set our alarms to, uh, to 
because we knew we had to get up at a certain time and we knew we had to, you know, uh, tune in at a certain time. And it was that anticipation piece. Like we were built, like we could, we were excited about hearing it. When's it going to come? Oh, maybe after this song. Okay. Nope. Not at this one. Oh, maybe this one. Nope. Not, not after this one. And there's like, that is that piece that like you don't get if something is pre-recorded and you can just available on demand. Yeah, there is that community piece or anticipation or excitement or an emotional piece that you just don't always get with pre-recorded on-demand audio. And same thing like if we were uh, with Midtown when we released a song uh, with Midtown Radio, but also when we when uh, CBC Radio played, uh, the first time they played The Boat actually, Craig Norris, we'd reached out to Craig Norris and he played it on the morning edition. And the entire way into uh, work that morning, Allison and I didn't speak because we were just like tuned in obviously we we're going to hear it even if we were talking but we were just so excited and had so much anticipation like the fact that oh my gosh you know potentially thousands of people tens of thousands of people in our hometown area could be listening to our song at the same time together coming through the speakers like it was just such a cool experience just knowing that that was going to happen and i feel like that's a, that is there's a different aspect from radio to podcast that way you know, similar to the way there's a different aspect with like, you know, live TV versus YouTube where it's just, you know, there's just, it's, it's, it's almost in my opinion, in some ways, like, um, the on-demand part of it just takes something away or there it, it's, it's different, I guess, but does, doesn't have that same sort of community building aspect or, or emotional aspect that the live, you know, human aspect. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I definitely think like, so like streaming services like Spotify, YouTube, Twitch, like anything that presents an opportunity for live streaming. I think that like concept of a live streamed podcast is very much blurring the lines between that like and delivering, you know, like sort of like a pre-recorded podcast quality but live cuz like you know like you jump on a live podcast on YouTube, you get the comment yeah. section, you're like legitimately experiencing it yeah. with all those other people and you can like talk to those other people. So like I think that's very much blurring that like separation line there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I, I'm I'm interested to talk a bit more about community and what you think of your conceptions of community because one of the reasons that we started Midtown uh, Radio was because we were living in Midtown uh in Kitchener, but sort of, it's it's the only community that traverses the the Kitchener Waterloo border. It crosses a whole bunch of constituencies, so there, it's kind of this confusing uh, space, this gray area, and um, and and it's developing very quickly. There's sort of very rapid gentrification happening in in Midtown and and rapid infill, and it it, it is there. The planning is in place to keep pursuing that. And we saw um, a lot of, say, developers or or um, counselors or sort of other people trying to talk about Midtown and what Midtown meant and sort of define it. And and we felt like there needed to be a space where members of the community could also identify what Midtown was and talk about what their community meant to them and what they want to see happen in their community, which um, there, you know, there are some really strong neighborhood associations in Midtown and, and that are really uh, active in terms of community gardens and in terms of public art projects and in terms of other kinds of recreational projects. And, and we wanted to make sure that people could talk about those things and about what their community meant to them. Uh, And so I'm interested in this link between 
radio and community. And and Matt, you seem to think that the pod the 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 digital community that maybe a podcast might create is not the same thing as as the community that a radio that collective listenership on and radio would be. And what and what is it what is it that you, that you think makes your gut tell you that that's different? I mean, it's hard to describe as well, right? Because I mean, they're I mean, they're it's they're both sort of nebulous concepts. The idea of community and and you know the idea of you know, the difference between radio and podcast, like you said, it's very it's it's blurring. Um, I mean, I think that community. I mean, community is created through conversation, and through uh, and through shared experience. Um, I think that that is the bedrock of what communities are made of. Uh, you know, whether it's a geographical geographic shared experience, or whether it's you know me, like consuming similar you know local media, or going through the same um, types of. Um, you know, liking the same things or, or sharing the same interests. I mean, those type of conversations, um, those found, form the bedrock of community and shared experience with live radio. The fact that you're able to tune in to something and you know that there are um, that there are other people who are who are in your community or who are or in your geographic community or in your interest community, tuning in um, at the same time. That really builds that sense of community. And I feel like it builds that in a way that on-demand things can't uh, – when you have uh, – it builds in a different way than, I guess, that on-demand things do, if that makes sense. Because you don't have that sort of shared – that direct shared experience of being in the same time space and experiencing the same thing at that particular time. It's like a, a different layer of shared experience as opposed to just maybe reading the same, you know, uh, listening to the same thing at a different time, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I don't know. It's, it's a little bit, nev- oh, it's, yeah. it's hard to sort of explain all I of think that. I totally get it. Um, and like, yeah, the community behind like, like, all right, radio is a very much local thing. Like if I was to throw a pencil across the room here, we would be a community of people who saw me throw that pencil. Yeah. Whereas like, and radio works very much like that. Like only people in Kitchener can listen to Kitchener radio stations, you know, like something like that. Whereas like going back to my earlier point about that blurred line, like a YouTube live cast is a very anonymous community. Like obviously nobody's using real names. Like everybody's just typing whatever they feel like. It's a bigger but much more impersonal mm-hmm. community, you know. So that's the one thing about radio I will give it credit for is like it's got a very localized, like personable community. You know, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that, like, um, you know, I mean, I can just speak of the importance of uh, of radio in terms of forming, you know, my understanding of place as well. I mean, my under like a lot of radio has been used very deliberately to form conceptions of community and identity. Um, um, in you know, for Canada, you talk about the creation of the CBC, um, and or even in other forms of media. I mean, my the my identity as a university student at Trent was very much created through my um, experiences with the media landscape there. I mean, that was something that I was able to share with the rest of the student body that was sort of almost like exclusive, right? I mean, like you're saying, like p- only people in Kitchener can listen to Kitchener radio stations. That makes it sort of like an exclusive aspect and that, that exclusivity sort of can bring people together, I guess, a little bit who are, who are in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's, I think it just it, there's a different layer to it 
than necessarily the on-demand aspect. Just the same way as I think that like all forms of media um, have different um, different layers of experience, and and they can can uh, change experience in different ways based on the medium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and that's totally right too. I think like one of the big things with radio on that like localized community note is like college and university radio stations. Like if there's anything that's like amazing for a music scene in a town, it's college radio stations. Like they'll play all of the weird underground stuff that would never get airplay otherwise. They create this like really tight knit community and like really bring like the music fans of a specific school together. And that's one thing I do love about radio. Like (laughs) college radio stations are awesome. Yeah. They're terrific. Yeah, and there's and I mean talk about uh, talk about ways of uh, uh, places that sort of create this this uh, create opportunities for people to get engaged in their community, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, places like this where we can literally show up and we can just talk about our community. You know, I showed up here at the library today not knowing that I'm going to be talking about the cultural aspects of Kitchener, and here here we are talking about this. You know, having a pretty in depth conversation about you know our our community that we are a part of. And as well as like, you know, the radio community that, that, you know, we exist in. And it's really cool that that we can have that. Um, Radio is able to provide that and podcasting as well. Although I think there are some different, different layers of it. And I'm not sort of, I'm not saying that radio is better than podcasts uh, or that that one of them is, is better. I think that like, like all media, you can get different things out of it and they create different experiences based on the medium themselves, their medium itself. That was my conversation about radio, podcasting, and community with Matt Rappelt and Alex Boudreaux. And that wraps up our special World Radio Day edition of Midtown Conversations. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch or recommend a conversation that you'd like us to have, please get in touch over Twitter at MidtownRadioKW, or you can email us MidtownRadioKW at gmail.com. Midtown Conversations is produced by myself, Danielle DeVoe, with help from Alex Boudreaux, as well as segment producers Matt Rappelt, Melissa Bowman, and Sean Gobi. Thanks for joining us, and tune in on Sunday at 10 a.m. to continue the conversation.